My name's Will DeFreeze, and this is the Sunday Scaries Podcast, your cure for the Sunday blues. It was early Sunday morning when a Subaru pulled up to my house. Groggy from a few too many IPAs the night before, I took the outfit I had laid out and I put it on, not really knowing what to expect. And then we drove. It wasn't a long distance, but it certainly wasn't a route that I had taken before given the circumstances. There's something peaceful about an early morning drive through the Texas Hill Country. The dew on the grass, the color in the sky as the sun rises, and even just the tolerable temperature is worth calling home about. But with coffee in hand and few expectations, we finally arrived and parked our car on a hill near a fishing outfitter. Charlie handed me my get-up for the day. A rod and a reel, some waders, a pair of boots, one of which had a sole becoming detached from it, and then we were off. We walked down a path and headed toward the river. Being unseasonably cool, there was a fog that hovered over everything that morning. It wasn't as ominous as it was peaceful. Even if we'd walk away that day without catching a thing, and spoiler alert, that's exactly what I did, the serene landscape as we waded down the river was worth it alone. If I've learned anything in life, it's that a good hobby is hard to come by. When you're in your early 20s and someone asks you what you like to do for fun, a lot of people struggle to think of anything that's not related to just going out, or at least that's how I was for a significant period of my life, as much as I hate to admit that. My hobbies over the past few years have been pretty consistent. Playing golf, watching English soccer on TV in the mornings, and spending time with my dog. So when I had the opportunity to learn about fly fishing, I knew I had to jump on it when I could. Unfortunately, as much as I did enjoy that day on the river, my days since have been few and far between. It's a sport that I've craved getting into for, for some obvious reasons, really. The skill, spending time in nature, the peace of mind that it brings to you, and yeah, I guess maybe catching a few fish too. But what I found was that I had a slew of reasons I'd made up to avoid doing a hobby that I'd long thought about. The learning curve of the equipment. The even steeper curve of learning how to do it. Finding spots that would be my own. The list really goes on as justified or not as the line items may be. Emerging from the last year without learning a new tangible skill is something I'm not necessarily proud of. I think if you've talked to any of your friends throughout the last year, you can ask them what they've gotten into and they might have added a skill to their skill set that you'd be impressed by. Some people learned to sew. Others went all in on making sourdough bread. And me, well, I didn't do much besides Peloton and watch more soccer than before, something I really don't enjoy about myself. I wouldn't say my friendship with today's guest started because of fishing, but I think the hobby, his passion for it, and my thirst to learn has brought us together in a way that some friendships can't really relate to. This week's guest is Charlie Schoner, a teacher who recently started Black Dog River Guides in Colorado. Over the last few years, Charlie and I have kept in touch despite the distance between us. And today, he joins the Sunday Scaries podcast to discuss everything ranging from starting his own business to the fly fishing community to why he has such an affinity for the sport itself. But before we dive in with Charlie, let's hear from one of this week's presenting sponsors. Away is a modern lifestyle brand that creates thoughtful products for every traveler and every kind of trip. They started with the perfect suitcase, crafted with features that make travel more seamless, and now, when travel looks more different than ever before, you can count on Away's range of suitcases, bags, and accessories whenever you take that next trip. I've taken several trips with my Away suitcases. I have both a large one and the larger carry-on, and I have to say, I do not leave home without them. Whether it's a trip to the corner store, a weekend away, or an extended trip with friends and family, we're all navigating the current reality of travel. But no matter your destination or style, Away's suitcases, bags, and accessories all come in a variety of colors, sizes, and materials to suit your needs and inspire your future travels. 
when it comes to all these uh, these features that we talk about with the way, every suitcase comes with an interior organization system that includes a built-in compression pad to help you pack more in, and a hidden and removable laundry bag that separates through your dirty clothes. I have to admit that I fit more into these suitcases than I ever thought that I could because of that because of that organization system, and I use these all the time. They also have four 360-degree spinner wheels that guarantee the smoothest roll even through the most hectic of airports and stations. These are also available in different materials and sizes and colors and most of all, a TSA-approved combination lock keeps all of your belongings safe. There are several other benefits that go away with these as well. Away products are designed to last a lifetime. If any part of your suitcase breaks, Away's standout customer service team will arrange to have it fixed or replaced. There's also a 100-day trial on everything Away makes. So you take the product out on the road, live with it, travel with it, even get lost with it for 100 days. And if you decide it's not for you, you can return it with any non-personalized item for a full refund during that period. No ifs, ands, buts, or asterisks. And Away also offers free shipping and returns on any order within the United States, UK, Europe, and Canada. Start your 100-day trial and shop the entire Away lineup of travel essentials, including their best-selling suitcases, at awaytravel.com sunday. That's awaytravel.com sunday. Charlie, welcome to the Sunday Scaries podcast. It's been a long time coming, but it's great to finally have you here. Yeah, man, I really appreciate you having me on. It's been, uh, you know, we've only talked about it, I don't know, for the last year. So it's a good time to finally make it happen. So you, you're, you've you been my personal fly fishing instructor all of about two or three times. Uh, but I want you to establish a little bit of credibility right now. How long have you been fly fishing for? What is your kind of history with fly fishing? Uh, and how did you get started in the first place? Well, when it comes to fishing, I'd say I've been fishing my whole life. Um, fly fishing was something that you know, the, the expensive kids, the rich kids in the neighborhood always had. And so we got to kind of mess around with their stuff growing up. But, you know, growing up, I was just mostly fishing with a hook and a handful of fishing line that I stole off my dad's reels. Um, and so once I moved up here to Colorado, I kind of decided that this was going to be the only thing that I did. And quite honestly, it was one of the big things that kept me out of uh, depression and, and anxiety and stuff like that. And so when I started fishing about... I guess seven years ago, for only fly fishing. Like I haven't picked up, uh, you know, conventional rod in about seven years, um, and I just kind of dove myself into it. You know, I I lived on a pond in the mountains in Colorado, so it was like a almost a high alpine lake that I got to go catch native cutthroat and some brook trout, and <clears throat> a few families were stocking it with some big rainbows. So I kind of learned all about that, and then. Really, my big thing was just bothering old guys on the river. You know, the older, the better, more likely they would be to help me. And, um, you know, that kind of age and wisdom kind of fact. But, you know, I've, I've been a guide for about the last five years, um, only on fly fishing. I've been tying flies for about seven years. And, uh, yeah, been in this outdoor industry for about five, six consecutive years now. So I've really been kind of working. And I know I'm not, you know, the veterans of the group, but, Hey, I know a lot and I'm willing to share it. When it comes to fly fishing, there is like a major learning curve when it comes to that. Uh, it's kind of been my hang up this entire time that I've wanted to get into it, but haven't really fully gone all in when it comes to that, you know, what, what advice do you have for people that are trying to get into it that might be discouraged by maybe the more intimidating, intimidating parts of it? I mean, you don't want to, I, I assume you don't want to encroach on somebody's territory when you're going out and disturb anything or, or is that community, uh, more welcoming than one would assume. I don't, I'm not really sure, to be honest. 
Yeah, well, there's a couple things there. So for, for the people who say that they want to start out, and if they're not, you know, in oil and gas, like I'll just be honest, fly fishing is an expensive hobby. People mm-hmm. want nice things. They want nice materials. They want, you know, the best of the best. That's just kind of the, the attitude that a lot of people have in fly fishing. It's almost almost an elitist category, but that's not that's that's like a microcosm of this this community. You know, when when people come to me and say, "Hey, I want to go. I want to learn how to fly fish." Well, if you have the money, get a guide. Mm-hmm. It'll cut your learning time in, you know, it'll cut it down from five years to, to three hours. And what, what does a guide normally cost if you're, if you're just new starting out and you're actually thinking about it because you're listening to this episode? Well, me with black dog river guides, I charge for a half day, one person, two seventy five, and for a full day four fifty. So those are, those prices are pretty competitive for the Vale Valley anglers or I mean the Vale Valley area. Sorry. We, that's, that's another one of our competitors in the area, but you know, when it comes to learning, a guide definitely is your best shot. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't get a guide or you're like, hey, I want to do this on my own. Honestly, YouTube is the best, you know, the, the university of YouTube. Like people get a lot of, learn a lot of things on there. Everyone wants to put out videos and everyone wants to be seen. So why not watch them? Um, but then, you know, Orvis, um, a very well-known company, they have actually 101 courses that they offer for free. So you could go into any Orvis store and be like, listen, I want to learn how to fly fish. I don't want to spend any money yet. I don't know how. They have opportunities available. Um, a lot of different organizations, uh, Fly Fishers International, um, Trouts Unlimited, a lot of these different organizations actually offer days a lot of the times when people can go out and you can get expertise from guides for free. Um, but when it comes to the community, like I said, there are people who are very elitist. Mm-hmm. There are the guys who wear the tweed jackets. They only wear barber. They're staring, you know, they look at you with your flat build hat and, and your joint and they think that you're just the scum of the earth. When in reality, that guy's paying my shop. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think it kind of comes down to everything. You know, like when people are elitist or people think that they're better than other people, they're, oh, well, I've done this forever. Okay, well, that doesn't mean anything. You did a hobby for longer than someone else is doing a hobby. That's what I think people still forget. It is still fishing. <laughs> We're out there, like, it's a, you know, it, it, Stephen Wright had a really good saying, you know, there's a fine line between standing on the line, like, in, standing on the shore like an idiot and fishing. Mm-hmm. Well, so it's funny, it's funny you bring up that. I, I wrote down a couple quotes because I used to go to a coffee shop every single day that had a theme that was fly fishing. It was in a spot where there's a lot of, there's a community that did that. And I always thought it was kind of funny looking at the quotes on the wall. I was like, I can't, I don't know if people actually like these quotes. If you, if you're actually in that community, like, do you find these to be cringe or not? And so like, there's a throw quote that's many go fishing all their lives without knowing that it's not fish that they're after. Uh, Zane Gray said, if I fished only to capture fish, my fishing trips would have ended long ago. Uh, Norman McLean said, eventually all things merge into one and a river runs through it. That's obviously a very famous quote for numerous reasons. And then mm-hmm. the solution to any problem, work, love, money, whatever is to go fishing. And the worst problem, the longer the trip should be. Many people associate fly fishing with something more than just catching fish. Do you subscribe to that mentality or do you just want to go out there and try to find the biggest fish that you can find? No, no, I, I don't care about big fish. I know that that's a big, you know, kind of, Oh, what did he say? kind of moment but no i don't care about big fish like if i go out and i catch one fish my day is better than it had been yesterday mm-hmm. um there are people who you know this it's similar to hunting there are people who have to have the biggest rack man we got to get the biggest buck in the air but no <laughs> guess what the meat still tastes the same 
right? And and the the fact of the matter is, you fooled something wild with something artificial. Mm-hmm. The big difference between fly fishing and conventional fishing is is of course the flies. When you're fishing with you know just a regular rod and reel, you know the click, the thing button click that you have when you're a little kid, the Batman or the Barbie pole, that you're using the weight of the lure to throw the lure into the water. Well, with this, you use the weight of the line, so it's almost like you're throwing, you, if you ever held a hose, like a big water hose at the end of it, and then tried to throw it and seen how it moves, and then at the end it throws out a little bit further, almost like a like a whip almost action, that's, that's what we're doing there, is we're using the weight of the fly line to actually throw these small, tiny flies. I mean, the, the ones that we use for winter, they get so small that sometimes you can't even see them. Like mm-hmm. you won't see them in the water. The fish will, but and, and and that's one of the big things that a lot of people get hung up on is it's like, well, I go to this area and I didn't catch anything. Like, well, okay. What time of year was it? Which bugs were hatching? I mean, fly fishing gets down, you almost have to be a, a an amateur entomologist you have to know the different life cycles of all the bugs that are in your water you have to know the ecosystem you have to know where the bugs are going to be where when they're going to hatch you know it's and i get why fly fishing is is a hard thing for a lot of people to kind of understand but you know hopefully this podcast and, and anybody reaching out to me will get a better answer you know i've had a couple backers actually reach out already and they're like hey man heard you on the podcast heard about you where do we start? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an intimidating thing to get into. I think that like you brought up like just flies, for example. I mean, I used to go to certain bars in Northern Michigan and you would go on a certain night and there would be uh, a fly tying class. And it would be like, I, I would just look at these old men sitting there wearing their like earth tone clothes, drinking these double IPAs and just having these little tiny things in front of them that they were working on. And I just, I couldn't fathom how they got to that point. And you actually made one time a Sunday Scaries fly for me. I still have yeah. that sitting in a, I have this little box next to my bed. And I was like, you know what? This is going to go sit in that box until the day when I might actually use it. But I mean, is that something that you do? Is that something that you would recommend others try to get into in order to learn more about the sport? You know, this is kind of like fly tying is one of those things. My wife makes fun of me. She calls it old man knitting. I mean, and it is. It's it's what old men do instead of knitting. You can kind of do it for hours. Your hands move. Your brain doesn't really think about anything. You just kind of, it's repetitive. You know, you're almost making little arts and crafts. That's yeah. really all it is. Is it necessary to get into fly fishing? No. Does it help and does it make give you a better, you know, opportunity for it? Yeah, the same way that a hunter reloading his own bullet or or making his own arrow would. You know, that's, that's essentially what we're doing. We're making our own tools to use. And so... For me, I get a lot more of like a caveman kind of style feeling when I catch a fish on something that I've made. You know, I took a bare metal hook, I tied some feathers and some fur to it, and I caught this, you know, wild animal, essentially with it. Animal, fish, same thing. But it's always fascinating to me that people take such a hard and fast line on, we have to tie flies, it's going to save us money. Mm-hmm. It's really not. It never will save you money. That is a big lie. But... It's a lot more fun and it saves you spending extra money at the fly shop because then you don't need extra things. There were a couple – when I think about – so part of the reason I wanted to get into fishing in the first place was just to have a hobby that got me out in the great outdoors 
it was something that uh, I had grown up near a community of people that did it often. And it was just, I was kind of a, just an outsider looking in and I never really took the dive in. And when I was trying to think of other reasons that people might do it, two things came to mind. And one of them, one of them was the camaraderie of going out with like a crew. Um, I mean, can you speak to, uh, to going out with other people and, and kind of how that is like a, 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 maybe a bond or whether or not it's beneficial to go out with like one person, two people, whatever it may be, uh, just kind of the camaraderie behind it. Yeah. I mean, you know, and, and that, that old saying, if you teach a man to fish, you know, blah, 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 blah. But when it comes to fly fishing, that's a big difference because <laughs> it changes every day. Um, but when it comes to the camaraderie of people within fly fishing, you know, like I said, there are these elitist people who are like, this is how you do it. Don't do it anywhere else. Blah, 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 blah. But the problem with that is, is that's not the everyman. The everyman is the guy who, you know, is probably closer to our age. Most of the people I see on the river are more than willing to be like, yeah, go over there. There's a big hole right there. There's a bunch of fish, fish right there. Here, here's two flies. Use these. Um, Everyone's out there for the same purpose. The only time I've ever seen any sort of kind of animosity come about during fly fishing is something that you said earlier is kind of encroaching on people's spots. Um, and I kind of get that. Uh, there, there, I've seen fights, actually fights on the river for people being like, you low hold me, you came up underneath my spot. It's like, well, <laughs> buddy, it's all public land and this is a public river and he has to get past you. And so it's, it's just... It's stupid. It's stupid for somebody to get so upset about someone being so close to you. Just say something. Hey, buddy, I'm going to fish down that direction. Or, hey, man, you know, I, I've been fishing here for a little while. I'm about to move into that spot. Do you mind if we just switch spots? Mm -hmm. A lot of the times it's all about easy communication. I mean, I've had people come up and be like, with me, with a full crew, full group of clients that I'm about to take out, and someone will come up and go, hey, man, it's just me. I know your guide. Do you mind if I stay out of your way? And yeah, dude, go, just stay out of my way. Like I've, I'm making money here, so please give me a few, give me some space. And 90 times out of 100, they'll say yes. It's 10 people who are like, "Well, this is public water," and I'm like, "Yeah, but it's also public water, and I can tell that seven-year-old kid to throw rocks in that hole. <laughs> you won't be fishing all afternoon." So it's kind of the how bad do you really want to get versus can we just respect everybody? Yeah. I mean, we're all out here for the same purpose. Like boil it down to it. We're catching fish. <laughs> it's not, it's, yeah. Don't overthink it. Like, so you're, you're well versed. You live in Colorado. Now you were raised in Texas. Do you have a preference on where you go fishing? Would you have a, um, has it raised your awareness when it comes to conservation and things like that? I mean, is it, is that something that factors into your love of it? Conservation is a big part for me just because, you know, I can't even remember who said it best, but these fish are my business partners. If I start removing my business partners, there's less of these fish for people to catch. So I try to always practice catch and release. And, and with that comes its own, you know, microcosm of people getting furious over nothing. Um, there's these, this big kind of stigma about people holding, you know, fish with gloves, because if you hold a fish like a trout, with a glove, it removes the protective slime layer, almost like it's removing a bacterial protection. And so these fish get bacterial diseases and actually die a lot quicker when you use things like gloves, or if you touch a, a trout with a, with a dry hand, you always, always, always want to get your hand wet before you ever touch any fish. Not only will it remove, you know, the slime layer that everybody, ew, fish are gross. It, if you get your hands wet, that's not going to happen. Yeah. And it protects the fish. 
So when it comes to Texas versus Colorado, you know, there's, there's this Colorado, I'll say this, um, Colorado has more green, like the color green in it. Mm-hmm. Texas has bigger skies with Texas. You have the ocean, you have the, the Gulf coast of Mexico. You know, I was there last weekend and we were catching redfish and trout and as unbelievable as this is going to sound tarpon, there are tarpon in Texas. And so these conservation efforts actually help build these populations of tarpon and snook and things like that down in Texas. I mean, with that massive freeze that you guys just have, you guys lost like 90% of the trout that were of keeper size. That's a massive, massive problem. It'll take probably 10 to 15 years before that trout population is even half of what it was. And so if we change the conservation laws, which I believe Texas Parks and Wildlife did change the size and bag limit for trout, speckled trout in Texas, that gives the trout and the fish itself gives it a better chance to actually get to the, you know, magnum that it was. I mean, Sabine Bay, uh, all these different, you know, Baffin Bay, all these different areas down in Corpus and Port Aransas were world renowned for being the best places in the world to catch speckled trout, redfish, you know, a, a Texas, um, what's it called? You catch three fish at once. You know, you catch a, a redfish, a trout, and a flounder, a Texas slant, what they call it. And so there are places all over Texas you can do that. But, but a redfish is only usually one, maybe even two colors. Sometimes they get that orange. Sometimes they get a little bit of that silver with that black dot. A trout can be thousands of colors. Mm-hmm. I can catch ten different trout, and not one of them are going to look anything alike. Yeah. They might all be a different size, but the beauty that I see in Colorado, I think, is reflected in the dangers of living here i mean the mountains like we this was the worst year for avalanches in i think recorded history and and driving on i-70 i don't know if you've ever done that or you did when you went to breck (laughs) it's not a good drive no it's it's not it's it's a it's a it's a scary drive sometimes and and looking up i mean you're on a four-lane highway going 85 miles an hour and then you look up and there's a 300 foot cliff right in front of you that you can't not look at because it's the most beautiful thing you've seen (laughs) It's just, I think Colorado being a little bit more dangerous and a little bit more kind of wild gives its fish and gives its actual animals a little bit more of that wild population look. Well, before we get into more questions, let's hear from this week's sponsor, and then we'll get back into it with Charlie. When it comes to CBD, the benefits are well documented. And when I started working with Caliper CBD into my daily routine, I finally saw the actual benefits I'd heard so much about. A reduction in my stress levels, reduced soreness in areas that have been nagging me. It's even helped me fall asleep easier on those nights when I need it most. And luckily for me, Caliper is so easy to create a routine out of. All you have to do is toss their dissolvable powder into a drink or some food, and you'll get all the benefits you've heard so much about. CBD has helped me in ways I never expected, and I know it can do the same for you. Caliper CBD powder is the only clinically proven fast-acting CBD. Caliper delivers 30 times more CBD in the first 30 minutes versus CBD oil, and you can get all the benefits of CBD in just 10 minutes. Some CBD oils can take over an hour to absorb, but these are developed by food and science experts with decades of experience rigorously tested for purity and quality. Caliper CBD comes in convenient and easy to use packs. They're precisely 20 milligrams in each packet, always THC free, so you can feel better without the high. There's no weird taste, no oily residue, and it mixes easily into any food or drink like I previously said. They're all natural, vegan, non-GMO, and they're free of fillers, added chemicals, and artificial flavors. You can get 20% off your first order when you use promo code SCARIES at tricaliper.com scaries. 
You can try Caliper CBD risk-free for 30 days, and if you don't love it, they'll give you a full refund. That's trycaliper.com scaries, and don't forget promo code scaries for 20% off of your first order. All right, Charlie, so you mentioned it earlier. Uh, you recently started a guide company called Black Dog River Guides. Can you tell me about starting that? Like, why did you start it? Uh, what's your end goal with it? Uh, was it difficult getting things in order? Was Has this been like a lifelong dream of yours? Just t- tell me about it. I, I want to know everything. Well, you know, I, I've been a sixth grade teacher for a little bit under a decade now, and I am quickly coming to a realization that I've been, reali- you know, had my whole the whole career. Uh, you can't really pay for a whole family on a teacher's salary. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that there are people who do it and I applaud them, but I want to give them a better life than you know I could. So my big goal here is transitioning out of teaching. Um, I have been you know guiding for different shops, different organizations, different outfitters, all over Texas, all over Colorado, all different places, and kind of have realized that there's a lot of issues because outfitters are owned by owners. They're not usually owned by guides. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they are, and sometimes that guide becomes an owner and his mentality shifts. Well, with me, what I'd like to focus on is actually benefiting the guide, benefiting me and my other guides who I might have. So what I do is I, you know, prepare different things for different clients. We offer different, you know, specializations for different people, different lessons, whatever they might need. But really starting a business like yeah i had no idea what i was doing i i'm I'm a sixth grade teacher i can teach you you know how to write a convincing argumentative essay at a sixth grade level but (laughs) when it comes to marketing google analytics which by the way that stuff is i that's chemistry it doesn't make any sense to me let me know if you need any help in the future i I got you i i will and i do (laughs) Um, and, and, you know, figuring out Photoshop, using different apps to create different stories and the marketing is, I, there's no marketing I have to do as a teacher. I tell the kids to sit down and shut up mm-hmm. and then the class keeps going. But when it comes to this stuff, like starting a business, I mean, I, I'm very, very, very lucky that I partnered with two people who actually already run a, an outfitter in Texas. And so they run Foul Plains Outfitters, which is a duck, geese and crane hunting um, outfitter out in, outside of Lubbock. You know, they have the big lodge. They've been doing this for a few years. So so Kevin, the main owner of that, kind of reached out to me and was like, listen, I want to start this thing up in Colorado. And I was like, give me a call. I've got everything already done. I ran another guy's business two years before that. He didn't pay me at all. So I just took everything. Let's put it in this. And so I, he, he me again and was like, listen, all right, I'm coming up to Colorado. Let's fill out all the paperwork. And really, like, you know, getting an LLC wasn't that difficult. I think I paid, you know, the, the $50 licensing fee for Colorado or whatever it was. It wasn't very expensive. Yeah, and it's then, nothing crazy. Yeah, applying for permits. So the way that the permits and everything works in Colorado, I had to have an outfitter's tag to ever, or an outfitter's, like, license to ever tell people that they can be guides. But the problem is, is, if I don't have a permit for specific waters, I can't ever send them out anywhere. So, like, I could hire you as a guide, but if I don't have a permit for any waters, you can't go guide anywhere. So, what I had to do then is go contact the Eagle County Commissioner, figure out how to get those paperwork, that paperwork filled out, sent that out, paid those permits. Um, and so now, because it's our first year officially being our business with Black Dog River Guides, we're going to try and focus just on the Eagle River. 
which is outside of Vale. Mm-hmm. So if anybody wants to come up, you get the best of, you know, all of the, the wives want to go into Vale and do the shopping and do all the see the sights and the foods and stuff like that. And then I get to take the husbands, sometimes the wives, whoever else, you know, whatever it might be, out onto the water and show them, like, okay, that's what Vale is. This is what Colorado is. Yeah. So it's, it's but, you know, starting a business, it's a lot of work. I, I'm lucky that as a teacher, it's the end of the school year and I can tell the kids to watch a movie and then have them analyze the movie versus the book while I work on, you know, email reports and fixing a website. And, um, yeah, like luckily the big thing for me is I have people that I can rely on. Um, I have you guys who already started a business. I mean, I reached out to you for a few ideas and then I've reached out to my sister who does marketing for Dell and then, I've reached out to my buddy who was a business consultant for Oracle and he kind of helped me do all of the costs and goods and services and what I need to make per month, what I need to make per trip. And so luckily I've had a lot of people help me um, and haven't had to go too far into my own pocket for that. But it's like learning a whole new job. Oh, it's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's the one thing I learned when I started doing stuff on my own. It's, it's, you take for granted the stuff that people, uh, that companies will do for you when you get hired by a company. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have to think about all this stuff. I have to think about the tax implications. I have to think about the paperwork and the LLC, the everything. And it's not fun. Uh, (laughs) if somebody wants to, uh, use you as a guide, or if somebody just wants to, to dip their toe into fly fishing, uh, what, what would be the, the baseline equipment or skill set that you would want them to have before they, uh, they just, just get in their car and head to a river somewhere? Um, honestly, give me a call. I have everything. Mm-hmm. I have the rods, the reels, the lines, the flies, all the extra goodies that you'll need. Um, so that's provided with our rental costs, waders, boots, everything. We just got the nicest, like brand new Orvis waders that we could find. And so all of our clients are having better gear than the other shops in the area because the other shops in the area have been around for a while and have older gear. So we have brand new gear. Um, everything's super nice. We have the same waters as everyone else does. Um, and, you know, really don't bring anything. What, there's the, Sunscreen. <laughs> part of the reason that I think that I would absolutely love getting into it is because I, I kind of get into the whole like gear part of it. It's fun to shop that kind of stuff. It's fun just to look at like the new stuff that's coming out. And the one danger that I think that I would have is that I would end up finding myself just buying a bunch of shit that I don't need. Uh, like, I mean, is that, is that common that these beginners will come out with like the nicest Patagonia waiters that you can possibly buy? And you're just like, Oh, you're not, you're not going to catch anything today. You're just going to get a little wet. There's been a few chance, few, few people like that where I kind of, I kind of look and I'm like, Oh, so what do you do for a living? All right. All right. All right. Let's go have some fun. And sometimes I'm like, oh, well, where'd you get those waders? And, or where'd you get that rod? And they're like, well, you know, I handed it down for my dad or my dad does this stuff his whole life. So I'm trying to get into it for him. And um, it, a lot of the times the people with the really, really, really nice gear, they either know what they're doing and just want a spot to go fish and me to tie their knots because that happens, you know, fine, here, go fish right there. I don't have to tell the guy anything. I just stand behind him and it is flies out of a tree when they're in the tree. Yeah. It never happens. Um, that's not, that's not very, very common. You know, a lot of the times it's people showing up like, Hey, my dad just passed away. This was his rod. He fly fished every day of his life. I couldn't do it. I'm doing this in honor for him. I've had probably a dozen of those people mm-hmm. come out. And they're like, we just want to honor the people before us. I'm like, that's awesome. And most of the times those are the trips that we catch the most fish. 
So what, uh, something that I didn't do through quarantine that I want to do through quarantine is trying to try to dig my hands a little bit more into it. And I ended up, you know, finding my other hobbies throughout quarantine. Did you find yourself fishing more? And also, did you find yourself doing any hobbies that weren't fly fishing throughout, uh, throughout quarantine that you surprised yourself with? Yeah, well, my big thing with quarantine, um, you know, we were teaching, so I was able to teach from home. Um, and pretty much teach anywhere that I had service. So there was a few classes that I taught from the river. I love that. And, you know, the kids would be like, Mr. Shona, where are you? I'm like, don't worry about it, guys. And I'd turn my camera off. All right, well, let's go over a lesson. <laughs> whatever. Um, but, yes, I fished as often as I could. I mean, being in Denver, we have the South Platte that runs right down the middle of the, the sea, and so we can catch trout and carp and smallmouth and walleye and all these different species. And, um, but yeah, I did a lot of fishing during, uh, quarantine, but the big thing that kind of switched for me is I went just hard. I went balls to the wall for duck hunting. I mean, we were going, we were getting up at one o'clock in the morning, racing other trucks on the highway to get these spots cause it's public land. So first come first serve, you know, we were doing everything that we could and it helped that I had a, a young black lab that I was able to train for that. And so I got to get on a bunch of ducks and even a few pheasant this year, even a few, a couple chucker, surprisingly. So nice little mixed bag of birds, but then, the, you know, it comes back into fly fishing because I saved most of those feathers that I'm going to tie flies with. <laughs> I guess that makes sense given, given what you normally do. I'm surprised you didn't say uh, making bread. I did do a lot of the sourdough starter, yes, and I can tell Dylan what a Levian is. <laughs> it's essentially the yeast. It's healthy, natural bacteria that... that provides the yeast that provides the lift in your bread. Well, speaking only for yourself, say that you're 85 years old, your, your ship has sailed and you can't bring your, your crotchety legs out to the river anymore. And somebody, and you have your grandson that comes up to you and he's like, uh, grandpa, Charlie, why do you fly? Why did you fly fish? What, what answer are you giving him? Because it made me a better person because every day I was out on the water was a day that I wasn't driving through the city yelling at, people for driving wrong or driving slow in the fast lane. Every day that I was out on the water was a day that I learned something a little bit more about myself and a little bit less about how I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And fly fishing, I mean, I, I take veterans out and help them with their PTSD by just staring at the water. Mm-hmm. Everything's moving around you. Your brain's able to slow down and kind of focus on what's important. And maybe it's just that fly that's on the water. Maybe for eight hours, Nothing else is important but watching that little bobber float by with flies on feet. It changes everything that you had the first time that you catch that fish and you feel it. I mean, you did when I took you out to Barton Springs, mm-hmm. Barton Creek, and I was like, "Look, this is these aren't big fish, but you're gonna feel." It. And then all of a sudden, you're like, "Whoa!" And you set the hook, and the fish flew behind you. <laughs> but the look on your face—I mean, it was pure joy, just elated joy. And I was like, "We're good. Let's keep going." Mm-hmm. And we sat out there in the hot water. Didn't see any snakes that day. I took J-Bone out the next day, and all we did was see snakes. Four of them. <laughs> like, the fish weren't even biting. It was just snakes. Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad we didn't see any snakes, because I don't think I would have been able to uh, handle that probably as well as some people would. But that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, I think that was well said. I think we're going to leave it at that for right now, and then we're going to come back after this uh, next ad with a couple trademark Sunday questions. When it comes to hard seltzers, there's a million different varieties out there, but the option with something extra makes your choice easier. 
As the first hard seltzer with antioxidant vitamin C, Vizzy brings something unique and delicious to the table. They've got so many different flavors and they, that there's just one for everybody so you can grab yourself a drink that can do both with Vizzy Hard Seltzer. Vizzy is the first hard seltzer crafted with antioxidant vitamin C extracted from acerola cherry, a super fruit with 30 times more vitamin C per cup than an orange. There are plenty of hard seltzers to choose from, but with eight bold and delicious dual fruit flavors and antioxidant vitamin C, Vizzy makes the choice a little easier and a lot tastier. Pineapple mango, black cherry lime, strawberry kiwi, blueberry pomegranate, papaya passion fruit, watermelon strawberry, blackberry lemon, and raspberry tangerine, and the list goes on. They've even incorporated some lemonade hard seltzer with four delicious flavors of watermelon, peach, raspberry, and strawberry, all with that same antioxidant vitamin C. My favorite flavors range from black cherry lime to blueberry pomegranate, and I really do like some of the new lemonade ones that I've recently tried, including the peach and strawberry most of all. It never hurts to add some antioxidants and vitamins to the mix, and with Vizzy you can enjoy refreshment now with antioxidant vitamin C. And at 5% ABV, 100 calories, and less than one gram of real cane sugar per can, every sip of Vizzy is more exhilarating. Upgrade your hard seltzer to Vizzy. To find out where you can purchase Vizzy, go to VizzyHardSeltzer.com slash washed. That's VizzyHardSeltzer.com slash washed, and you must be 21 or older. Charlie, you ready for some Sunday questions? Bring it. What's your ideal Sunday outfit? Well, I'm going to steal some from yours. Long sleeve shirt, Patagon and baggies. It's the, it's the perfect outfit. I, I will amend it to say the Outdoor Voices running shorts and any hoodie, like light hoodie. Not like a like a, like a hoodie, but like a light cut, light, um, lightweight one. Killer. Doesn't matter whether outside you're, you're doing, you're, you're crushing it. How do you take your coffee? Black, just straight black, nothing in it. I, I respect that. I, I will once in a while start putting stuff in there if we have it in the refrigerator. But most of the time I've just, I've just gone straight black lately, especially, especially now that I've kicked my co- or my tea habit that I, that I started getting over the last year, I'm back into my coffee. So I, I'm, I'm with you on the black train. Yeah. I think that's the way to go. If I opened your refrigerator right now, what would I find? A lot of vegetables. My wife's trying to be really healthy right now, and so by proxy, so am I. Um, And so we're trying to be eating a lot of vegetables. Am I going to find any meat in there that you've you've gotten yourself? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ducks, um, a lot of duck meat in the freezer. There's still one elk steak left. Unfortunately, I missed two elk this year <laughs> oh bummer one of them one of them was a very very far shot one of them was uh i was smoking a joint and had my headlamp on and uh <laughs> right at the end of light and all of a sudden on the road they pop up on legal ground and pulled the gun up and had the lights flash into the scope and couldn't see anything oh they ran no off. i'm sorry yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry for you because I owe you some meat. <laughs> no, no, no. You've you've provided more than enough meat with uh with me in in the past. I'm not too concerned about that. Hey, well, it's it's still coming. There's gonna be a package that shows up one day. It's gonna be elk Friday, maybe even some trout Friday too. That works for me. I'll take anything. Absolutely. What is your iPhone screen time looking like every week? Yeesh, that's ugly. Uh, I think I. Uh, probably five plus hours. A lot of the times I'm doing, you know, on my phone for business, trying to deal with marketing while I'm at school or dealing with 
parents texting me saying, why isn't my kid in class? And I'm like, I don't know. He's online. He's at your house. <laughs> yeah. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. That's not, that seems like a you problem more than a me problem right now. I think you're the second person that I've ever interviewed. Who's actually probably in their bedroom right now. Is that, is that a fair assessment? It is. My wife took the office. Yeah. I uh, was able to get home from work pretty quick and then, um, yeah. The, What's the on your bedside table? Uh, right now there's a handgun and uh, a book about something. How to Survive the Wild, I think. Oh, no, Sap the Sapiens book. So, yeah, that's a, that's a man's bed table. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's burlier than mine. And uh, the final question, what does your ideal Sunday consist of? An ideal Sunday. Well, if it's during the summer, I'm waking up either in a hammock or in a tent, and I'm on the side of the river. If it's rainy t season like it is right now, I'm sleeping in a little bit by sleeping in with two dogs. That's, you know, 7 a.m. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I go sit on the couch, make a cup of coffee, roll a nice little joint, and sit back and relax. I like to call it a, a hippie speedball. That sounds pretty nice. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for coming on. I do have one final question for you. If somebody wants to book with you or if somebody just wants to pick your brain about something, what is the best way to follow you, get a hold of you, just anything? Well, my my personal Instagram is at the fly fishing teacher. Um, and then at Black Dog River Guides is our company, um, blackdogriverguides.com for all the information that you'll need. Um, and then honestly, I think my, my phone number's on there. Just give me a call. I'll answer, give you whatever water knowledge you need wherever you want to go for fishing and we'll, we'll, we'll get you on the water come on come catch some fish with me and black dog river guides perfect charlie as always it's been a pleasure and i'll talk to you soon my friend it's always good if you liked what you heard today make sure to subscribe review or tell a friend in need about this podcast by subscribing, you guarantee that each and every episode gets delivered directly to your phone every Sunday morning. You can also follow along on Twitter at Sundayscaries and Instagram, which is at Sunday.Scaries, or you can follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at Will DeFreeze. And remember, always trim the wicks on your scented candles. See you next Sunday.